0: Today I want to talk about how to stay filled with the Holy Spirit as the conclusion of this series. And the text is verse 18 of chapter 5. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject. If you have a King James, it's submitting yourselves to one another in the fear of Christ. Now, the command is to be filled with the Spirit, It is an imperative command. And it suggests that if a person is not experiencing the fullness of the Spirit, or as the word means, control of the Spirit, that he is living in rebellion against God, it is just as much a sin not to be filled with the Spirit or controlled by the Spirit as it is to be drunk with wine. Now, we talked last Sunday about how a person experiences fullness of the Spirit. There it must be, it begins with a constant craving of the Spirit. A kind of a desperation where a person just says to himself, he, he says in, and he knows it in his heart, there's got to be more to the Christian life than this. Are you satisfied with, with your Christian life? It just... It's just got to be more than this. Just going to church, you know, and going through the, the, the ritual of church attendance. So it begins with a constant craving of the Spirit. It involves a complete commitment to the Spirit so that everything, every key to every aspect of one's life is surrendered to the control of the Holy Spirit of God, absolute yieldedness of his life to God. There is the continual controlling by the Spirit so that he is day by day controlled by the Spirit. It's not something that's once and for all. It's a daily controlling by the Spirit. And then finally, a conscious Um, appropriation or a conscious claiming of the Spirit, appropriation of that which one already possesses. Be filled with the Spirit. Now man will be filled with something. For it is basic to human nature that man in and of himself is incomplete and he will always be reaching outside of himself for something to fill that hole that is in him. It's illustrated in the creation narrative. For God put man in the garden in the paradise of the world, the most beautiful place that's ever been. But man was incomplete there, and God saw that man was not good being alone. And so he created the woman to be his completion, to be his helpmate, to fulfill and to complete man. Man is in and of himself incomplete and will be always reaching outside of himself for completion. He'll be filled with something. He'll either be filled with that which is symbolized by being drunk with wine, or he'll be filled with the fullness of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, when Paul talks about being drunk with wine, he's talking about those things that are symbolized by what the world offers us for completion or happiness. He's talking about those ways that the world suggests that you and I can be really fulfilled and complete and happy. Wine in the scripture is the the symbol or represents joy and fullness. And so the world holds out to man that which the world offers to man for for, for his fulfillment and completion. The only problem with that is that it's a temporary joy. And what Paul is saying is this: that now that the Holy Spirit indwells you, He is a spring that's springing up, and you you drink of Him, you you take of Him, and you'll never thirst again. And that everything that the world offers is just temporary. The newspapers are replete with evidences of this. Freddie Prince was at the height of his acting success when he was so unfulfilled he took a gun and shot himself to death. Marilyn Monroe Monroe was 36, a sex goddess. The world was at her feet, but she was so lonely. And one night she took a handful of barbiturates and joined 20,000 other people that year who committed suicide. Ross Lockridge sold his book Tree Country to a publisher for a lucrative price. Drove his car to his boyhood home in Indiana. Parked in the garage. Left the motor running till he asphyxiated. Ernest Hemingway got tired of booze and bullfights and hunting and fishing and making love. And he thought he'd just die. And so he thought I'll just kill myself and he tried at first to Walk into a propeller of an airplane. When that didn't work, he put a shotgun in his mouth and wrote, Finis to an adventurous life. It's just temporary joy. And what Paul is saying is this don't look to the world for this fulfillment. That fulfillment can be found in the fullness of Jesus, in the fullness of the Spirit. Now, that word means lavish or abundant. What an audacious statement Jesus made. He said, if you come and drink of me, you'll never thirst again. You may be thirsting for money, you drink of me, and that thirst will go away. What an audacious statement. He said, you may be thirsty for position or status, you drink of me, and that thirst will disappear. You may be thirsty for pleasure, and you want that fun in life so much, you drink of me, and you'll never thirst for pleasure again. It'll just vanish. What an audacious statement. Be filled with the Spirit. Now because it is imperative that one be filled with the Spirit, it is also imperative that he stay filled. Now I may be talking to somebody this morning who has experienced in the past the fullness of the Spirit of God in your life But no longer is that true. Just a fading memory. And it's a tragic thing to once experience the control, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, and no longer know the fullness. For once, for for what you've never had, you never miss. But once you've experienced the fullness of the Holy Spirit, nothing else will ever satisfy. And I'm convinced. That it is possible for a person, having been filled with the Holy Spirit, to stay filled. It becomes a habit of life. That's what we want, isn't it? Shake your head up like that, if that's what we want. I mean, we want something like that for a, as a lifestyle. And I'm convinced that it is possible for a person to be controlled by the Holy Spirit and stay controlled by the Holy Spirit. Now the question is, how does it happen? Now, before I get into the explanation that I see from the text, I want to say three things. The secret is found in these verses that begin with participles, ing words. Speaking, giving, submitting. Three things about that before, like uh, Ryogi Berra says, before I start talking, I want to say something. Now, before I start talking about how it happens, I want to say three things about those participles. First, because on and on and on. Secondly, it is some, when he gives these commands about how to stay filled with the Holy Spirit, he's giving a command to act out of the will rather than out of the emotion. In other words, I am to give thanks when I don't feel like giving thanks. And I am to sing when I don't feel like singing. And I am to submit when I don't feel like submitting. Third. They all deal with a vital relationship. And when vital relationships are broken, then the flow of the Spirit's fullness is broken. So they are habitual, they are an act of the will, and they deal with vital relationships. Our relationship to God, our relationship to ourselves as we relate to the circumstances of life and our relationship to others. Now notice these. I believe that in these three verses, we find not only the manifestation of the Spirit's fullness, but we find the maintenance of the Spirit's fullness. Not only do we find a description of what it's like when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, but we also find how to maintain that fullness. So if you've got a piece of paper, what I want to do is to do something very practical. Very practical and show you how to maintain the Holy Spirit's fullness when that fullness of life is experienced. First of all, there must be joyful worship. Now watch. It is not so much a command to the emotion or an experience of the emotion as it is a command to the will. And this is the command. Singing. And making melody with your heart to the Lord. Two things now. This singing and making melody, and the word making melody is strumming the strings. You remember that old song? If you're old enough to remember this, you're old as I am. Zing went the strings of my heart. You remember that song? What he's saying is that you stroke the strings of your heart to the Lord, it's an act of the will. And the audience is the Lord, you see. I remember my when I was a kid growing up, my, my, my mother made my sister and I take piano lessons. Now I found only one other thing in the world that's worse than pa- taking piano lessons, as far as I was concerned, that was public flogging. <laughs> I, hated, I hated to take piano lessons. Now I wish I had have taken it now, I wish I could play. But my sister was a concert pianist, she could play. And, And I can remember my mother would sit in the living room and just sit there for hours as we practiced. She didn't know a thing about music. Couldn't play a note, but she was that audience that listened to us play and practice. It doesn't matter who else hears you. Doesn't matter who else is there. The audience is the Lord that you stroke the strings of your heart to. Now notice that it is not Making melody in your heart. It is making melody with your heart so that your heart becomes the instrument of your praise to God. And it's an act of the will. And you strum the strings of your heart to God. Now this is what he says to do. He said by with hymns and and psalms and spiritual songs. Now hymns and psalms, that's the more objective part of it. That's that's directed to deity. It's what we do on Sunday morning when we come into this church. And we pick up one of these hymn books and we turn to these hymns, and I'm just looking at my Jesus I Love Thee, one of my most favorite hymns. And we sing this directed to deity, directed to the Godhead, and we strum the strings of our heart as as we make melody to him. But these spiritual songs, that's something different. Now a spiritual song is this spontaneous, unpremeditated singing, and it's, it just comes about when something happens. Now watch this carefully. If you'll turn sometime to the 15th chapter of the book of Exodus, when God parted the Red Sea and God's people walked across on dry land, when they got across on dry land, The first verse of Exodus 15 begins, Then Moses and the the Israelites sang a song to the Lord. Now, I thought about reading that, but I don't think I have time. But I want you to read it. And they just started singing. And what they started singing was what had just happened to them. And they talked about the parting of the Red Sea and the swallowing up. Now I have a feeling that Moses couldn't carry a tune any better than Ed. (laughs) You heard this guy sing. I have a feeling that he was an old musician, of course. But all of a sudden, as they stood on dry ground on the other side, and they watched God's deliverance unfold before them, they burst out in song about just what had happened. They made it up. They just made it up. You remember in the midnight hour, Paul and Silas were in stocks in a Philippian jail, one of the, most, one of the worst hell holes on earth. And they in those stocks. I can just hear the conversation. Paul says in the midnight hour, Silas, do you know I'll fly away? <laughs> can, you, can, you give us the key, can you give us the key on that? And they just started singing in the midnight hour and I have an idea that what they sang was what they were experiencing of the Lord. Watch this carefully. The psalmist says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. You ever talk to your soul like that? Now, your soul is your essential self. It's this inner dialogue that goes on inside of you. Do you have inner dialogue? Most of the time, our inner dialogue is presumptuous despair and and, and fear and doubt. And what we talk to ourselves about is like this. Oh, it's bad, and it's gonna get worse. And what we do and how we act is the result of our inner dialogue. It's, it's how our soul talks to us. And the psalmist takes over and he tells his soul what to do. And what he tells his soul to do is to bless the Lord. Now in preparation of this sermon this week, I just thought, well, I, I believe I'll try this. And when things begin to happen to me, whether they were good things or bad things, I tried to put them into a song. Now, I'd go down the road, i would driving down the road, I might be singing Amazing Grace, but words you've never heard before on Amazing Grace. That's the tune. I hope you're serious about how to stay filled, because I'm gonna help you to know how. I heard of a counselor who had some people come to him, and he'd tell them, he'd say, What I want you to do, he'd just kind of get a little introductory conference with him, he'd say, what I want you to do this week is to get you a hymnal, and I want you to take a a song from that hymnal, and I want you to sing the words, you may not know the tune, just make you up one. I want you to sing one of those hymns and psalms all through the week. And on Sunday morning, I want you to go to church And Sunday night, and when they sing, I want you to take the hymn book, and if you can carry a tune or not, it doesn't matter. I want you to sing every word of every song that's sung, and I'll see you next week. Some of them wouldn't even have to come back. Singing with your heart to the Lord. Second, there must be the giving of thanks, continual thanksgiving, Did you know the most commanded thing in the Scripture is not repent? The most commanded thing in the Scripture is gratitude. For gratitude is a choice. It's an option. You can be gratefully humble or you can be grumbly hateful. It's your choice. Now this must be correct gratitude, correct thanksgiving. It's to the Lord giving thanks to the Lord. It must be continual, it's always, and it must be complete for all things. And that's the tough part. For how do you give thanks for some of the things that happen to you? You do it as an act of the will. Now I was looking in 2 Corinthians the other day, chapter 12, and I was just going over that account of Paul's thorn in the flesh. I noticed something there I'd not noticed before. Paul says that a messenger of Satan, that's what he called this thorn in the flesh, was sent to me. And I look that word up, sent, and it means that which is given of God as a blessing. Now, does that sound strange to you? That Paul identifies this messenger of Satan as a blessing from God. Let me tell you what that, what that means. It means that the Apostle Paul had come to a place in his life where he understood that nothing would ever happen to him unless a gracious God permitted it. That nothing would ever come to him except by and through God. And that's what he says. In the 11th chapter of Romans, the last verse, and he says, For from him and through him and to him are all things that God might be glorified. You hear that? That circumstance that has you discouraged is from him, through him, and is to be given back to him. And that's what gratitude is. It's the acknowledgement that God is sovereign over everything. And so I take these things that come in life to me that I see as circumstances that are going to ruin me. I don't know whether I can live through them or not. And I see them as permitted by God. At least permitted by God. And I'm going to take those circumstances and I'm going to give them back to Him in gratitude. And the result is He's going to be glorified. That's what giving thanks for all things means. Now I want you to do this. You probably want, but I want you to do this. I want you to go home today and take two sheets of paper. I want you to number one, one sheet. You know, one, two, three, four, five. I want you to other other sheet. One, two, three, four, five. Just all down there. Maybe to ten. On the first sheet of paper, I want you to list everything in life that's been a bum deal for you. Everything that you've been, that you've gotten a bum deal on in life. And on the other sheet of paper, I want you to list everything. You hear, you what, you you getting this? I want you to list everything that you would change today if you could, but you can't. Maybe it's an illness or an illness of a loved one. Maybe it's your job, whatever. I want you to list the things you would change today if you could, but you can't. Then I want you to take those sheets of paper, those lists, and thank God every day for everything on those sheets. Always giving thanks. One last thing. There must be mutual submission. Submitting ourselves to one another in the fear of Christ. Now, hear me carefully. There are two things involved in that, or three. One, it means humbleness. Humbleness. Submitting means that an equal places himself under another equal, that Jesus might be glorified. That's what submission means. So that in an attitude of Jesus Christ, I submit myself to another. I don't have to have my way. Try it for a week. I'm not gonna have to have my way in my marriage this week. I submit to you. I'm not gonna have to have my way and my my job, et cetera. I'm I'm submitting to you. I place myself in humbleness underneath you. What What did the old hymn say? Perfect submission, perfect delight. Visions of rapture now burst on my sight. Angels descending, bring from above Echoes of mercy, whispers of love. You know what Fanny Cosby was saying? That the perfect delight that comes in life comes as the result of perfect submission. That's true in marriage. It's true in relationships of every kind. Humbleness. Helpfulness is what that means. Helpfulness. It means placing yourself at the disposal of another. You know what we need to do? We need to stop all this introspection and all this self-pity that we go through and begin to submit ourselves, placing ourselves at the disposal of others. To get up and, and go help somebody. It's what Paul meant when he said, for we preach not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. We want you to know that we are here to serve you. And I'm thinking today of a man you probably have never heard of, and that has lived in this century. He's probably the most godly. Kagawa was born the son of a was four. Both of his parents died. And he was raised, and they were abusive, and they made him pay in suffering and abuse. They sent him away to board. Found him, this lonely little boy. And the missionaries gave him the story of the Sermon on the Mount. That Sermon on the Mount, and one day he fell on his face and prayed, and he became the holiest man this century study the bible and he lived in a little one room slums and he began to befriend the poor him and he cared for them and this one room is eight adults living there one man had the itch and he would wash his clothes every day one man was a mirth that that Kagawa, holding his hand, would ward off the murdered man's, and he lived in this abject pond, run across the sewage outside of his house. And the labor unions in Japan and the social unions groups, and he became famous, and he took all of his money and gave it to the poor. Became just like him. And I'm thinking of an army sergeant. Children, orphaned, running the streets of Seoul, eating out of garbage cans. He told his wife, he said, I just have seen the most terrible thing that I've ever seen. That wasn't enough. They sold everything they had, and they moved to Seoul. Bought a house that had been shelled by the war and began to repair it. adopted Korean ways, and they ate Korean food, and they wore Korean clothes, and they spoke it got a kidney disease and he took him to Japan. Oh. So they took the kidney out of this army sergeant and gave it to the little came back to America she had raised 200 Korean and I'm not so sure that we want to stay first the Lord wants you to do it. To this home and this man and his wife were having a quarrel. She'd found out he'd become unfair, said Well, I can tell you what I can do to help you. I can help you to know Jesus Christ is not a tool for anybody to use. Jesus Christ, and He died singing, and He rose again in song. It's up to us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I'm afraid that we don't know much about what it means to be controlled by the Spirit of God. We don't know much about singing. We don't know much about giving thanks. We know very little about submission. We know very little about what it means to live. And walk under the control of the Holy Spirit. We just know that we're not happy with things as they are. And we feel so unfulfilled and incomplete. And we hear our Lord saying, If any man thirst, Let him come to me, let him come to me. Here we come, here we come. And we pray you'll begin in us the joy that never ends, that you'll pour out in our heart the new wine of abundance and that we'd be willing to accept the discipline that will enable us to stay filled. For I pray in Jesus' name. Look here, please. My invitation this morning is for that person here who has never come to know Jesus as personal Savior and Lord. Perhaps in Bible school, You lifted your hand to say, I want to be saved. You prayed the prayer. You want to come publicly. My invitation this morning is for those of you who have never confessed Jesus as the Lord of your life and accepted Him by prayer as your Savior. Come to do that today. second invitation is for those of us who live marginal and peripheral Christianity, and you're not happy with it, not satisfied with it. There's got to be more to it than this. And you'll be willing to submit your life today to the control of the Spirit of God, get your sin confessed up. Submit yourself to Him. Perhaps you need to come this morning to join the fellowship of this church body, I have a feeling, I sense that there is God's will to be done here today. I want you to be the first out of that pew to come. And by your coming, you'll give courage to others. So as we stand to sing, we invite you to come.